0: we're going to get started. Uh, we have an awesome privilege today, and uh, I don't know, how, how many of you know Pastor Grace? You've, Pastor Grace knows Pastor Grace. Uh, so well, most of us know him, so you know what privilege you have today. Uh, you know uh, what is before you, uh, and it's a great honor for us to have him here. I, I, I mean that with everything that's within me. Uh, Sam, I quoted you last night Uh, We are rich. Uh, We're rich to have men like this uh, who would give his time to come and uh, to share the wisdom that God has given to him, to share the experience that God has given to him, uh, to be an encouragement. Just you can't sit with him for more than a couple of minutes and not be encouraged. Uh, And uh, that's awesome. Uh, Praise the Lord how rich we are. To have men like this, so we're we're delighted to have you, you here. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Well, good morning, everybody, and
1: uh, I hate introductions like that. I really do, <laughs> you know, but uh, it wasn't in my contract. Remember that to to say all that stuff. But I am uh, delighted to be here, and it's always a privilege to stand anywhere or sit anywhere and uh, represent the Lord, represent the word of God, represent Jesus Christ, speak to God's people or speak to people who don't know the Lord. It's always a privilege to do that. I told the folks yesterday morning here that as sitting in my motel room early yesterday morning thinking what you know, why do I get the chance to do this? This is really incredible. I think when you're pastoring, when you're really involved in the work day in and day out and you've got the constant pressures that course, it begins to wear on you and you you think more about, how can I get out of some of this rather than, you know, what a privilege it is to do it. I know that that's the wrong attitude, but I was, I've been there on more than one occasion where I thought, man, I just got too much on my plate and wasn't appreciating the opportunity to preach and to uh, speak to people about the Lord. But now that I have, retirement is not the word I use. I understand what uh, people mean by that but I've stepped back I'm not the senior pastor I don't have the responsibility uh, I don't have a lot of the uh, issues that I had to deal with the everyday drama of pastoring a church I don't have to do that now and uh, so it is easier and maybe I do have more time to sit back and say you know I really am very blessed I really am very blessed and that's what I was thinking yesterday morning before I came here and preached what a blessing it is to to just have the privilege to stand to open the Word of God and share some things that you may have learned over the years, and specifically, what has God said and what do you understand it to mean, and how to relate that to the people that you're speaking with. So, I said all that to say it's a privilege to be here with you and among you today, and I hope that I can help you. That's one of my goals. So, let me give you a little bit of, uh, when I say a little bit of history, me tell you who i am i know a lot of you but i don't know some of you and so let me just tell you who's speaking to you uh, i'm from rochester new york you see that's a long way from here uh it's uh, on the southern shore of lake ontario so canada uh, actually the line is in the middle of the lake is probably 30 miles from where we actually where our church is maybe 30 35 miles where our churches is uh, the uh, uh, the boundary of Canada, the United States, exists. So we're really far north. We've already had 100 inches of snow this year. uh, We're talking about another one coming, another nor'easter coming this weekend. So uh, we could be, and probably will be at 125 inches before the winter is over. And uh, we'll send you some. If you're short, we'll, we'll put some in a box car and send it down to you. But I will say this. I wouldn't move here for this weather either, to be very honest. With you. This isn't, I'm thinking I'm going to go to Atlanta, man, you know. I'm not going to take a jacket. I'm going to bring my tank top and my shorts and my running shoes. And, uh, and I'm here and it's been raining ever since I got here. And it's, what, 55 degrees or whatever. So I got to go much further south than here to find some warm weather. At least today I do. Um, <laughs> Jacksonville, Florida, that's, yeah, that's far enough south probably. But I uh, pastored, uh, I've been in the ministry for 45 years, actually this month, almost to the day right now. I started, I think, the first week of March in 1973 in the ministry. And here it is, uh, 2018, so 45 years ago. I started out as a bus pastor. I became a youth pastor. I became an associate pastor. And then I became the senior pastor in 1983 and was until October of 2016 when I stepped back, stepped down, And Pastor Kevin Pesky became the pastor who uh, was a missionary for 11 years. He was homegrown, uh, trained in our Bible Institute, became our pastor. And Kevin is doing an absolutely wonderful job. He's here, and I hope you get to meet him while he's here, along with Dylan Briscoe. Dylan is our discipleship pastor back at First Bible. And he is also a product, a graduate of our Bible Institute. So when you talk about the rewards of discipleship, uh, and then we have Frank Salvaggio right here. Frank is a graduate of our Bible Institute. There may be others that walk in here. The rewards of discipleship really is people. People is what the reward is. And sometimes you have to stay. Oftentimes, maybe all the time, you have to stay a while before you're going to see the results of the investments that you've made in people. People who transfer churches, and you know, the three years, four years, they run out of sermons and look for a new church. They never stay there long enough to see the results of their ministry, even if they don't understand discipleship. You know, All of us disciple accidentally. Even if you're a kumquat, you decide, as dumb as a kumquat, we still do disciple people, don't we, by uh, just the things that we do. People are always watching us. So you have to hang around a while and I've been around for 45 years at the same church now, I am a product of discipleship. I'm a product of evangelism. I was won to Christ through a man that I worked with at Eastman Kodak Company. He began to witness to me back in the 70s, won me, early 70s. He won me to Christ. I asked him, I said, well, what do I do now? That's a good question when you get saved. What do you do now? He said, there's a church out in Greece, the town of Greece, and they have a Friday night adult Bible study. Why don't you go there? So I went home and told my wife I got saved, and I couldn't really explain it all to her. I wasn't theologically well-grounded at that time. That was the day I got saved. And, uh, but my wife said, yeah, let's go. So that Friday night, we went to First Bible Baptist Church. We sat down in an adult Bible study, and that's where really my, my Christian experience and discipleship began at that Bible study. I was in the church. I a- ended up in the ministry. Ten years in the ministry, was discipled under the second pastor, first and second pastor, served under them, and I became the third senior pastor, and Kevin Pesky is the fourth senior pastor. Both of us are national pastors. You know, you think of sending a missionary off to uh, Zambia, where Kevin was for 11 years, and we're trying to win natives, nationals, to Christ so we can turn the church over to a national. Well, I'm a national Rochesterian was born and raised there, and some a man was sent there in 1966 to start a church. Pastor Wayne Mullen was his name, and uh, I was saved under his ministry as a result of his evangelistic efforts and the people that he had won to Christ. I was won to Christ. So I'm a product of the church evangelistically. I'm a product of that church discipleship-wise for 10 years, Different pastors and different individuals discipled me and helped me grow in my faith and my relationship with the Lord until in 1983, as I said, I became the senior pastor of the church. So it's my history. I really believe in discipleship because of my own experience. Now, as a senior pastor, there's a lot to do other than just disciple people. You know that. In our church... They had a lot of different things going on, and we've, of course we've created a lot of different things, including problems, over the years. So it kind of takes you away from you know, focusing mainly on discipleship. But obviously, the, the senior pastor has got to be discipleship-minded. You have to be the leader as the senior pastor. If you're the only pastor, you have to be the leader as far as the voice in promoting it. Now I do recommend that you have an individual in your church, whether he's an associate pastor, a lay pastor, somebody whose main responsibility is organizing, structuring, uh, training, assigning, tracking, administrating your discipleship ministry. And we have that at First Bible Baptist Church with the other fellow, Dylan Briscoe, who's here with, with Pastor Pesky. That's what his job is. When people come in and they visit for the first time, his job is to track that person and make sure that they get where they need to go. And at least they have an invitation to do that. If they say, no, I'm not interested, we certainly can feel like we've tried to incorporate people into the ministry of our church. So I say all that uh, to get started here today. And uh, I know that uh, by your own admission, by being in this class, that you know something about, and maybe you know more about discipleship than I do. I just have the opportunity to share my experiences and the things that I found in God's Word that I think apply. So what I want to do, you have a copy of notes, my, my um, overheads, my PowerPoint presentation. So if I don't get to something, you got it all in your hand. You don't have all my illustrations or explanations, but at least you have the main thoughts that I want to share with you. So let me pray, and then we're going to get into the Bible, get into the Word of God. We're going to look at the book of Acts, and just briefly, and then we're going to go to the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if it takes you a little while to find those two books, I'll give you 10 minutes, all right, to do that. Father, we are grateful for Jesus, grateful for the opportunity to come together here this morning. I'm thankful always for the privilege to stand before people with an open Bible and to share, what you put into my heart, to uh, share it with other people, heart to heart. Now, thank you for these folks. They're interested in um, being better Christians, being better disciples, being better disciplers, so that the kingdom of God will spread, will grow, and that ultimately, the most important thing, that the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, will be honored and glorified through it all. We ask these things now praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, where I want to start here, the first slide that you have in the rewards of discipleship is background. That's the the top of it. And I've given you some some dates. I just want to kind of, this is the the five-mile picture. We're looking at uh, what we're going to talk about from five miles up right now, from an airliner. And we're looking down and so I want to give you at least the historical context of where we're going to go into 1 Thessalonians. I'm not going to beat you to death. Probably m- many of you know more about this than I do. But basically, this is what we're talking about. Paul, uh, the apostle, Saul, was converted around, and these are general dates. We know that we can find different dates in uh, different authors. But around 36 A.D. is when uh, Saul was converted maybe six, five, six years after Christ was crucified. We know that Paul then was called to the mission field in Acts chapter 13. We, we find the, what is called by theologians and historians, Paul's first missionary journey. That's about 47 AD. Around 50 AD, just a couple chapters later, is the great famous Council of Jerusalem, when they're really all trying to get their act together, you know, there's, uh, there's the old, the old Testament Judaism that um, many people are still trying to figure out, how does this all incorporate into the gospel of Christ? And there was a lot, of, among Jews particularly, there was a lot of controversy there. So in Acts chapter 15, they got together, and the leaders got together to really make sure we understand what we're talking about. It's always a good thing to do, is to understand what you're talking about. By the way, whenever you get into a conversation with somebody, if you don't know what you're talking about, the only thing you should do is ask questions, all right? Don't pretend you're an authority when you're not and don't know anything about it. So we get to 50 A.D., and it's shortly thereafter that Paul goes on his second missionary journey. And, on, and during that um, chapter number 16, What's called, again, by theologians, the Macedonian call takes place, where Paul is called to go to this specific uh, place to preach the gospel. It's shortly after that that we read the story of the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a great passage of scripture that is. It's about as simple as you can make it in Acts chapter 16. But then it's in Acts chapter 17 on this second missionary journey, the second missionary trip, that Paul goes to the city of Thessaloniki or Thessalonica, depending how you pronounce that or even spell that. And it's in that same chapter that um, the historical uh, confrontation on Mars Hill that Paul has with these Greek philosophers. And he shares with them a little bit of the history what he believes, and what they at least need to hear. And there's a great illustration there of how we deal with lost people who really know very little or nothing about what Christianity is about. He gives us some wonderful principles and examples of how to deal with people who are really ignorant. So here's our background, and we're in Acts chapter 15, and you look in, let's go back to 15, look at verse number 36 there. It says... And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached in the word of God and see how they do. And uh, and Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to to take him with them, uh, who departed from them, from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was sharp. We know that Paul and uh, uh, in Barnabas that they had a disagreement there, a separation, and consequently they were separated. And we ended up with, and it looks like a negative thing, and I don't know what they said to each other. I don't know if they got uh, heated. They cussed at one another what they did. But two missionary teams came out of that. God always has a way of making some good come out of what we see as bad. Remember that. Remember that. Some of the greatest lessons that I've learned in my life were because of the most difficult things that I went through, maybe some of the biggest mistakes I've made. We don't learn much when we're doing well. When we are, you know, we got the world by the tail, man, and everything is just going perfect for us, we have a tendency to become very arrogant. Man, am I smart. (laughs) Boy, am I smart. If you people knew, if you knew who was amongst you this morning, you'd, you'd probably all be on your knees right now is what you'd be doing. So... But anyway, our greatest lessons are really learned on our most difficult days, aren't they? We go, I'm never gonna do that again. That was the stupidest thing I've ever done. And I have stories, I could take the rest of my time today and tomorrow to tell you stories about that. And we do a lot of laughing at me while I was sharing those with you. But anyway, here's the background of all this. And it's during this time, that Paul, in chapter number 17, notice, it says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was the synagogue of the Jews. So here's the background of the the founding of the church of Thessalonica. And I say this because that's where we're going to go for our main text here this morning. But give me the next slide. In case you don't know what a disciple is, this is a good definition. There's a thousand of these definitions I know, but here's a good one. The, uh, a disciple is a follower, one who accepts and assists in the spreading of the good news, who accepts and assists. That's important, both those words, and assists. That's, we have a problem with that in our churches. We're filled with people, and I think our brother last night put, put this out pretty plainly, that there's many people that accept the realities and the fact of the cru- crucifixion, and our salvation and our forgiveness and all that. But we're supposed to go into Canaan. And while we're going into Canaan, we're supposed to be assisting. We're supposed to be helping. And that's what disciples do. They help new believers move from Egypt and mentally and spiritually move into the land of Canaan. That was an excellent presentation last night. Thank you, brother. I do deeply appreciate it. I never really thought of it that way. And uh, I won't ever not think of it that way from this point on. But anyway, discipleship, Christian discipleship is a process by which disciples grow spiritually in Christ and equipped by the Holy Spirit who resides in our hearts. By the way, we could take each one of these phrases and we could preach a little sermonette on them to overcome the trials and pressures of this present life and become more Christ-like. The trials and the pressures, the challenges of this life because we are appointed there unto in this world you will have Jesus said tribulation it's going to come so just because you get saved you know this doesn't mean that your troubles are over for some of us they just began I've had a whole lot more problems in my life I didn't know I was having problems before I got saved see I was so stupid and ignorant I didn't know I was having problems now I know what I was doing back then I had big problems and I was creating more but now my problems oftentimes are other people's problems but I'm much more keenly aware of who I am and what my problems are all about. Discipleship encourages the believer to respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting, to examine one's thoughts, words, and actions, and compare them with the truths of the word of God. That's what we're trying to do in discipleship. This isn't in your notes, it's in mine. This requires that one be in the word daily, studying, praying, and obeying the scriptures. That's what disciples do. They don't, you know, put the Bible in the trunk of their car and look for it next Sunday morning around 9.30 to bring it to church. It's not a disciple. This is a daily walk. Discipleship is not a destination. It's a process, a lifelong process. This is, I'm not going to say it's the only ministry, but it is ministry. It's not a program. It's not a program. I know you know that, but it needs to be said over and over because it's so easy to look at things that we do as programic and not our lifestyle. It's my lifestyle. I'm a parent. That's not a destination. I'm a parent every day. Even though my youngest child is in her mid-30s now, I'm I'm still parenting. Thank God my kids still come to me for advice. I haven't driven them away yet. But I have five children. I have a great relationship with all my kids. But I'm still parenting. It's a process, not a destination. I have not arrived. And I'm learning from them now. They tell me what I told them. And I go, I said that to you? <laughs> really? Yeah, I was having a bad day, apparently. You know. You know, Let me correct that. Let me tell you what I think now. So a lot of conversations like that go on. So that's what discipleship is. It's characterized by, giving me the next slide, if you would, these, at least these five things, putting Jesus first. Number one, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, Matthew 6. So it's putting Christ first in your life. This is what we're trying to teach people. These are principles. Follow his teachings, bear spiritual fruit. That comes from discipleship. It doesn't happen by people from people generally who just show up on Sunday morning or once a month in church, loving one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another and through evangelism, effective evangelism. Some people get upset when you talk about discipleship. They say, oh, well, you don't believe in evangelism. You don't have anybody to disciple if you don't evangelize. I was evangelized first before I ever even understood the word Discipleship or heard the word discipleship. So, certainly, evangelism is part of the Great Commission. But you know, it's easier to conceive a child than to raise one. Did you ever notice that? It was easy and it was fun conceiving my five children. It really was. Great time, great experiences. <laughs> but raising them, yeah. <laughs> Every, I can say this honestly, don't tell my kids, but every one of my children have given me agida. Everyone in some way in my life, all different circumstances, but every one of them have given me issues and problems that I was disappointed and have to, had to deal with. Now, I'm not saying that they were are criminals and they were drug dealers and all that. I'm just saying... Things happened in every one of those lives that <laughs> created agita for me, if you know what I mean. And things that still may happen. They're still my children, and I'm still parenting and all that. So anyway, let me move on to my next slide here. We're going to get into First Thessalonians. I promised that we would get there. In First Thessalonians, um, from Acts chapter 17, where the church is founded, we want to look here at these particular... Uh, the, uh, First Thessalonians. I'm not going to you know, expound on the whole book. Obviously, we don't have time to do that, but I want to hit some main points, and I want to get it started. By the way, you have all my PowerPoints in your hand. So if I die tonight, you still have my message tomorrow. And one of you guys, Mark, you can come on up here, and you can teach the rest of them all right. I hope you can make sense out of them, but try to teach them tomorrow. So you have my notes, and... Uh, you do have a place where you can make your own notations if you like. I appreciate uh, Pastor Joe for doing that. Uh, this is great. You got my notes? You don't have to sit there and write and then miss something I say. But if you do write, at least you have a place to write it and in a context of what was being said at the time. But anyway, this particular book of 1 Thessalonians, it was, it's uh, one of the earliest books. That's why I gave you the background. So this is something that was obviously very important to Paul. One of the first things that he wrote. and Of course, the Holy Spirit of God knew that this was going to be recorded, and we would be reading it even today. The eternal Word of God. It was written around 51, 52 A.D. Thessalonica was only the, was second to Athens in population in Greece, and it was on uh, I mean, the Via Ignatia. It was a a uh, tri, uh, it was a thoroughfare, is what it was. So the truths of this particular place would be moving constantly in and out of the Roman Empire, specifically from Rome to the Far East. So the Holy Spirit of God placed this book and the principles of this book in a very important place on the second missionary journey. The basic theme of 1 Thessalonians when we talk about discipleship ministries is salvation and sanctification, or another word for discipleship. Sanctification is discipleship. We are trying to be more separated for the work of the gospel of Christ. That's what sanctification is and that's what um, discipleship is all about. So you can give me the next slide if you would. We're moving through here pretty quickly. Five basic purposes, general purposes for the book. Again, we started five miles. We're down to maybe a mile now looking at the book. Paul wanted to express his thanksgiving for their faith and and their love in the midst of persecution. They're going through difficult times. I'm glad, honestly glad, that I don't have to go through the, uh, many of the things, maybe any of the things, that these early church churches and, and Christians had to go through. I'm not worried about you know being uh, fed to the lions, not yet. And I don't mean the Detroit lions, either. I'm not worried about, about that. We really have great opportunities with technology and all this. And we don't have the resistance in our, in our own culture. I mean, as much as we don't like some of the things that are going on in America, we don't have the resistance that these people had when the church was begun, With the resistance that Paul had from his fellow Jews and, and just the whole heathenism of the world. We've got more Christians today, and we have the Bible. We have a completed copy of God's word. Remember Paul didn't get up and have devotions the way you do like I think I'll read from Colossians. Oh yeah, I haven't written that yet. You know, <laughs> he didn't have he didn't have the same opportunities or advantages that we do, but he's expressing his thanksgiving. He's defending himself against the attacks. He wants people to know that he is credible. He's offering encouragement. Everybody needs to be encouraged. When I would counsel with people in my office, going through difficult times, and I still do from time to time, not as often as I did, my goal was this. When that person walked in, I said in my mind, I want this person to walk out with hope. I want to give them something that they can believe that it can be better than what they were thinking when they walked in. They may be immersed in their problems. All that they can see is darkness. I want to give them some light. I want to give them some hope. And that's important in life. We all need it. We all need to be encouraged through and in the difficult times of life. Paul sought to establish the church in biblical eschatology. That's a big word for future things, the study of future things. Guys and gals, I'll just say this. I don't, I, you know, I don't know what goes on everywhere, but I don't see the same emphasis that I saw 40 years ago. And uh, in <clears throat> I think it's important to be looking to the future. Every single chapter in the book of 1 Thessalonians ends with a mention of the coming of Christ. Yeah. Every one. I've listed them in one of the slides in the next slide, and I'll show you that. You can look it up later on. But Paul knew that they needed encouragement. And if the church needs encouragement today, and I think we do, that was the primary way he encouraged people. He said, Jesus is coming. Jesus hasn't forgotten you. Our Savior is coming. You need to know that. No matter how dark it is, there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's not always going to be this way. You know, when your loved one dies, what what can encourage you when you lose somebody that you've spent? I think Sam Shockley lost his wife of 52, 53 years uh, just this past year. What can encourage you? You know what can encourage you? He's going to see her again. Jesus hasn't forgotten Sam. And he's going to, in the presence of Jesus, he's going to see uh, his wife again and be reunited with her for all of eternity Looking at things prophetically. Well, I can still stand up. Oh, it's for this. Okay. I know. I know I'm not looking good. I thought, does, does it look like I'm going to go down here? No. I, thank you very much. At least I don't have to bend down because I can't do that. I can only do that twice a day, bend down. I've already done it in my quota for the day. The next time I stay down, all right, I want you to know that. But anyway, uh, and then uh, Paul sought to instruct them concerning spiritual leadership. Let's look at the next slide and look at these verses. These are There's five chapters in 1 Thessalonians, and every chapter, every chapter, Paul ends 1, 2, 3, 4, and he talks about two places in chapter 5 before, before he closes the book in verse 23, talks about the fact that Jesus is coming again. What is he? Doesn't he have anything to say? What's he, trying to fill space? Did he have to put this in because a publisher said, I want a 5,000-word book, and he's trying to fill it in? No. He said this every chapter because he knew how important it was. This is the early church. This is a church going through affliction. you got disciples. They need to know Jesus is coming again. You may be tired of saying that, and for whatever reason, just because there's a lot of date setters, you know, Jesus is coming in June of 93. Oh, he didn't. Okay. How about September? Okay, let's try September. Oh, he didn't come in September. 94. I've been looking at my calculations, and it's May of 94 he's come. Some of these people have been. Remember the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 1988? Remember that book? He also wrote a book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 1989. Now, what was accomplished by that? He made a million dollars by writing the 88 one. Didn't make a lot of money on the 89 one. He was kind of losing his credibility, but he did really well with the 88 one. By the way, it was <laughs> I read it. I bought it. He got my money, you know. But uh, it's 88. That was 30 years ago, wasn't it? Oh, well, we missed that one. Anyway, but what happens to us is this. Because people have done that, We're afraid to talk about it because people will, oh, you're one of those date setter people. You believe that Jesus is coming. Ah, ah, ah." Fact of the matter is that even Roman Catholics believe that Jesus is coming again. I was raised a Roman Catholic. I thought Jesus was coming again. I didn't know if he was going to come next year or 15 million years from now. But the Catholic Church even teaches that Jesus is coming again. So what's the problem? What's the problem with Bible-believing people talking about the blessed hope? The appearing of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in there to encourage disciples. Don't neglect it just because you're embarrassed to be identified with some wacko who made a predi- prediction that did not come true. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul is seen to have great tenderness, affection, and great concern for his converts. That's discipleship. Paul shows his pure motives, his compassion, his concern for their spiritual growth and for their well-being. He's concerned about their progress in the faith. Paul is comforted by Timothy's report that he brings back. Timothy is his disciple. They are commended for remaining steadfast under affliction and encouraged to excel even more in their Christian walk. That's one of the main themes of this book. Sounds like discipleship to me. And it's one of the first of Paul's epistles. He knew how important this was. So let's move on to our next uh, slide, then, if we can do that. Let's see what that is. I'm just going uh, to take a moment to look through some notes. I've just given you some general themes there. But chapter number one, we're going to really focus on chapter number three here in a, in a bit. But chapter number one. Uh, Paul commends their growth. If you look at 1 Thessalonians, go there now, because we will spend the rest of our time actually in that book. Go to 1 Thessalonians, if you would, and uh, look at chapter 1, and it's only 10 verses long. By the way, while we're here, look at verse number 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. That was placed in this book, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. The chapter closes with a commendation and a reminder Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. But in the first chapter, basically, he's commending the fact that they're going forward. It's important that people hear from us. You got disciples? You got to, your disciples? They need to hear from you that they're making progress. It's nice to tell your children. Hey, you're doing good. Man, you got a B-plus on your report card. This is good. You might be able to do better. I'm not sure, but this is good. I want you to know that. Here's $5 or whatever it is, or whatever you use as some kind of reward or recognition for people who do well in your life. That's a good thing. Don't you like to be patted on the back? Ladies, your husband says, man, you know what? That was a good dinner. Now well, maybe you've never heard that before, but wouldn't it be nice if one time, I do say that to my wife, and I do it intentionally, and I'm not going to tell you that they're always the best dinners. I'm not going to say that. That isn't what's important. The importance is that my wife gets some recognition for what is very mundane and common, ubiquitous is the word, to her. It's very common to her, making meals. She doesn't think of it, I mean, We've been married for 50 years. I don't know how many meals she's made. Look, you can see many of them are hanging out around here, but nonetheless, she needs to be uh, uh, commended. From we all want a pat on the back. Your disciple needs a pat on the back when they do things. When somebody tells you you're doing something good, it only encourages you to do more of the same. We all know that. But that's what Paul is doing in chapter number one. He's commending them. He talks about his thanksgiving for them and his praying for them. And he remembers your work of faith in verse 3 and your labor of love and patience of hope. And so he's, and he talks to them like a family. Nineteen times there are words that are family words like brother or brethren in this particular book. Nineteen different times he talks about the family of God. It's important for disciples to know they're part of a family your church family and that's why we want to get them involved as quickly as we can i didn't say that we want to give them a responsibility as quickly as we can but we want them to get to know other people we want them to get to know what we do and why we do it and and so you know you don't need to do anything yet you need to come in here sit down get the lay of the land meet the people we want you to relax but i want you to know this our goal is for you to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And one of these days, you're going to be turned loose. You're going to be the person on the platform preaching. You're going to be the person that goes to the funeral home and offers encouragement to uh, the family of uh, the loved one that they've lost, whatever it is. Someday, you're going to be the Sunday school teacher. You're going to be working with the children. That's what my goal is for you. I want you to know that up front. Nothing wrong with that. Tell them where you're taking them. They're disciples. Now, if they don't like that, and they probably will like it if they're truly Christians. Remember, when I got saved, I said, I asked a question. What do I do now? I had an instinctive desire to get involved. By the way, if you go to Paul's conversion experience in Acts chapter 9, that's exactly what he did. The first thing that he did after he got saved is, now what do I do? Now what do I do? It's instinctive to born-again people to want to get involved. But be careful not to give them too much initially and burn them out, you know. Well, we got church on Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, and then Monday we'll be back here for a life group, and Tuesday night we have a special, you know, class for, you know, idiots, and then Wednesday night is church, and Thursday night we'll have visitation, and Friday night we just get together for a prayer meeting, and Saturday, well, this week we don't have anything, but then there's Sunday, and you can come to church three times on Sunday, for Sunday school you can be here, and by the way, there are a lot of people that like that for a month, (laughs) and they get burnt out on that. Give them the opportunity to get involved at their own pace, but always encouraging them to take a step forward. But don't let them take responsibility when they're not prepared to do that. Give them a chance to get to know people. So in chapter number two, we see the founding of the church. And uh, through chapter number two, um, if you look at uh, verse number uh, one, it says, for yourselves, brethren, no, brethren, family, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. But even after that, we had suffered before and were shamelessly entreated. As you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. We were willing to tell you the truth, even though it was not popular where we were. We want you to know we're committed to what we're doing. And so he goes on to talk about the establishment of the church at Thessalonica and the things that he went through to help get that church established and grounded. So this is discipleship. There's a pattern here in chapter 1, how to deal with people, the principles. We may not use the exact words, but there are principles. This is the Bible. This is the instruction manual for life. This is our discipleship manual right here. You can have other books and stuff that will assist people to move forward, and you can have lessons printed up and all that, and that's good, and we do too. But this is the discipleship manual, and the principles that we're reading about, they have been well thought out from eternity past in the mind of God. And they've been recorded here for you and I to read this and try to get something from this. This is what I need to be doing. By the way, I think just about, if not every, book of the Bible is a discipleship book, isn't it? Somewhere you will find principles of discipleship, maybe through the whole book like you do here in 1 Thessalonians. So anyway, the founding of the church. Now I'm going to move in to the meat of my presentation, all right? So we're going to move into talking about the rewards of discipleship. That's what you've asked me to do. Now, I'm going to take my time here. And I've, I'm, I think I've got four slides for 17 different principles or points. And I'll tell you what, if somebody stood before me and said, now, I, that I'm done with my introduction, and now here's my first of 17 points. <laughs> huh? What? What? Now, Mark didn't even do that last night. He didn't even do that. He had a much simpler outline that he, and, and it was a long message, and it was great. I told somebody last night, I said, I don't think he said anything that shouldn't have been said. He didn't say anything twice last night. Everything he said was important. And you know what? We came here to get that. We can visit, and we can eat lunch, and we can do all the other, plenty of time to do all that. But we came here to be encouraged from the word of God. Don't forget that. Now, I said that for my benefit, so you'll sit through my (laughs) 17-point sermon right now, all right, okay? (laughs) But I'm not going to do all these this morning. I'm going to get through some of these, probably half of them here I'll get through, and then I'll be done. We're uh, down to about 25, 30 minutes left in this session. It goes by quickly, doesn't it? All right. Now, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. I tried to make this, as simple as I can make it, and I'm pretty simple. And what I did is I took the principles and points that I've, you know, I've referred to in chapter 1 and chapter 2. I could do the same thing with chapter 1 and chapter 2, but this is where the rewards of discipleship really show up in chapter number 3 of this book and 4 and 5. But chapter 3 becomes the main focal point for our discussion here uh, this morning and tomorrow morning. So let's look at chapter 3. Wherefore, chapter 3, verse 1, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent a disciple, a discipler, my disciple, Paul's disciple, to disciple you, Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now, when Timotheus came... From you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over all, uh, over you, in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. So let's stop our reading there, and we'll pick up the rest later on. But let's look at. Um, each one of these points, and you have them before you. And I haven't even turned around, they're on the screen obviously behind me also. So what are the rewards of discipleship? Let me go back in uh, um, just for a moment to what I said right in the beginning. The rewards of discipleship are the people that you have influence with over the years. And um, later on, to come here last night standing in the lobby and Frank and Sarah and these other guys come up to me and say hi Frank is a graduate of our Bible Institute which is our chief discipleship ministry ultimately in our church this is where the cream of the crop go to the Bible Institute and and take in about a hundred credit hours or more in some cases of classes intentionally over a period of at least four years did you graduate in four years, and that's unusual. Gary Sauer graduated in 11 years from the Bible Institute, and that's okay, but he kept plugging away, and he's in the ministry right now, full-time ministry as a missionary. He spent 11 years in our Bible Institute and went to the mission field. He was in the ministry as a, as a pastor before, but went to the mission field when he was 55 years old, and he's doing a wonderful, wonderful job. But anyway, the rewards are the Gary Sauer's. The Franks, the, the uh, Kevin Peskys, the Dylan, Dylan Briscoe, also a graduate of our body. It's the people as you look back. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a fact, okay? And I'm proud of this. I don't like the word proud, but I am proud of this. But I want to say this to encourage you. There are 180 families that have gone into the ministry wow out of First Bible Baptist Church in Rochester, New York, in 51 years, 180 families. We have graduated 125 people that have graduated with at least 100 credit hours of Bible instruction over the 45-year history of our Bible Institute. Some of them uh, serve on the staff of our church right now. Some of them are missionaries. Some of them are pastors. Some of them are like Frank, pastoring in Jacksonville. They're all over the world. Now, we've been doing this for 45 years. Some of them have gone home to be with the Lord, several of them during that time. We had one man start the institute when he was 49 years old, Jim Dutton. Jim became a missionary to Arctic, Alaska. I visited him on the mission field. You couldn't pay me enough money to go where he was. He was in Point Lay, Alaska. I dare you to find that, even on Google. Point Lay, Alaska. How many people live there? I think 247, and 200 of them are Eskimos. The only way to get there is barge a couple months a year and airplane the rest of the year. It's in the, it's on the northwest sea coast of Alaska, about 400 miles from Siberia. Who would go there? Not me. Not me, Lord. Don't send me. Quoting Isaiah, don't send me, Lord. I'm not going there. Absolutely not. Now, I did go there to visit. He started the institute when he was 49, and he hadn't picked up a book. He told me since he graduated from high school, and he started in our Bible Institute, and he graduated and eventually went to the mission field and spent more than 10 years. He just passed away just a few months ago, and I did his funeral. But uh, it's people like that that are the rewards of discipleship. People like that. Very talented. He was an aircraft mechanic, a millwright. He could do any kind of work with his hands. He was a brilliant man when it came to the trades, and he decided that God wanted him to preach the gospel in a place in the uttermost part of the earth, and he went there. So discipleship establishes the new believer in the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for telling me that. But that's what it does. That's the reward. You're sharing what you've learned with somebody else, number one. And that's what it's all about. It's all about Frank. Frank, Frank, look at me. Frank, it's all about the book. It's the word. This is the authority. I'm not the authority. I'm only reading from it, and I'm giving you my maybe flawed interpretation. I'm humbling myself before you from trying my best to communicate with you, Frank, what I think God is saying to me and also to you in this book. That's how I taught the Bible Institute for 45 years. I am not the authority. Establishing people in the book. And then when I hear Frank talking, among, he says, I remember Pastor Grace, and what he did is he established me in the book, in the book. That's the rewards of discipleship. Because I thought that when Frank was a student, I still think that's correct. You agree with that? It's the book. You agree with that? Amen. This is the answer. I'm not the answer. We aren't the answer. Jesus, the word, and this word, the book, are the answer. You establish your disciple in the doctrines of the Christian faith that are taught in God's word. Number two, discipleship multiplies the efforts of the master. And I'm calling the discipler the master disciple. 1 Timothy, uh, or 2 Timothy 2.2. But here in 1 Thessalonians, we see Timothy is mentioned here. Timothy was Paul's disciple. How much time he spent with him, I do not know. There's not a lot of that recorded in the word of God, but I know he spent some time with him. He spent enough time with him where he was comfortable and confident with sending Timothy, knowing that Timothy would represent him and the word of God as well as he possibly could takes time to do that, so he must have spent a good deal of time. But again, uh, Paul's reward was the fact that he had somebody to send. I've got somebody that's, I'm not the only one. Somebody really bought into this. Doug Kane led me to Jesus Christ in Building 82, Room 240C, on August of, in August of 1972. You know, when I prayed and accepted Christ as Savior, he didn't say this, but I'll bet he thought, I got one. (laughs) He listened. He believed. And God used me to win this person. The rewards of evangelism and the rewards of discipleship. People that will buy into your faith and to make it their faith, the faith. So discipleship multiplies the efforts of the master disciple. Pastor, or individual people, lay person, whatever term you you can't do it all. We gotta lock arms together. We've gotta work. Some uh, uh, I can't claim. And if I if you've got this impression, I want I want to apologize for it, and I want to state the truth. I didn't disciple Frank Salvaggio, but I did some of it. He was in my classes, maybe five, six, seven Bible Institute classes, two hours a week, 15 weeks. We spent 100 hours together anyway. We have spent 100 hours together. And he could ask questions. And he was looking face to face at somebody. And he could make an appointment and did. Come in and sit down. Let me talk to you about this and talk about that. And all. He could do that. The rewards of discipleship are the people And now, he is multiplying himself. But I multiplied, and the people that discipled Frank have multiplied themselves. You understand this. This is elementary in discipleship. But it multiplies the efforts of the master discipler, number three. That's a reward. You get people to help you. Don't you want people to help you? You ever feel alone, like you're the only Christian in the world? I don't feel like that often, but I've been in places where I felt like I was the only Christian, because I was! I couldn't find anybody else. Nobody demonstrated the fruit of Christianity. I felt like I was the only one, and maybe I wasn't the only one. Sometimes we get there. We need to be encouraged by others. Third, discipleship provides the new believer with a caring, comforting friend to help the new believer through the challenges of transformation including the appointed afflictions. That's what Paul points out in this book. He says it's not easy. There are obstacles. There are disappointments in our Christian lives. Don't ever think that you're going to go through this without problems. And your problems may be very different from mine, but they're yours and mine are mine. And Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you and God will give you the strength, the wisdom, and the grace to get through whatever you're going through. And even if you have a have, get a big F, a big failure on whatever it is, Jesus is coming. We're going to see him. Chapter 1, verse 10, the end of chapter 2, the end of chapter 3, the end of chapter 4, the end of chapter 5. Jesus is coming. On the worst day of your Christian life, Jesus is coming. With the cavalry is on the way. I want you to know that. Right now we're surrounded by... This isn't politically correct. The Indians, uh, but we're we're surrounded by them, but the cavalry is coming. That's the way I was raised. I was raised on cowboys and Indians when I was a kid, way back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. Anyway, what this does is provides a a caring, uh, a comforting friend. You got somebody, you know, when I went to church the first time, I looked for the guy that led me to Christ. I looked for some of the people that were in that Friday night Bible study. might have been 25 or 30 people there, but I looked for them. And I wanted to sit near them. I may have only had a two-minute conversation, but they were beginning to become my friend. And new believers need friends. They may get rejected by many of their old friends, particularly when they try to share the gospel with them. They need somebody who will encourage them and say, you know what? The way you're being treated isn't unusual. Look at what First Thessalonians says in chapter 3. Paul talked about afflictions, the things. In fact, Jesus said in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Not everybody's going to like the gospel. In fact, the world would be converted long ago. We'd all be Christians everywhere if the world, if lost people really glommed onto this thing, but they don't. Number four. Discipleship affords the new believer additional spiritual counsel, protection, and prayer support to engage in spiritual warfare. Let's go back to the text and read that text. By the way, all these principles, I believe, are here. Let's go back to verse number 5 in chapter 3 and read that. For this cause, what cause? Suffering tribulation, verse number 4. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. I knew you people were facing some obstacles, but I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. The tempter. Oh, he loves to go after new Christians. I've seen a lot of new Christians over the years, and, you know, not everybody. I, I I didn't face a lot of obstacles. My obstacles were people rejected the message family members and friends, they didn't really want to hear it. I was only 25 years old. I i didn't have uh, physical problems and financial problems. Like I said, I don't even really know what problems were when I was 25 years old. I got to learn about them later on in life. I didn't even have any problems then. So I can't say that I had to deal with that. But to think that the devil was pleased with my salvation, I'm not sure about the spiritual warfare that was going on around me. I could give you some illustrations of some some things that happened. And I look back now, and I know that that the devil was trying to distract me through other people, through other things in my life, and decisions had to be made, and somebody was praying for me. When I went to First Bible Baptist Church within the first two or three weeks, I can't tell you how many people came up. Man, it's good to see you here. You know, I have been praying for you. And I don't think they stopped praying for me just because I showed up in church. We're praying for you. And I can say I had a smooth delivery in the early days of my Christian life. I thought they were pretty easy. But it was because of people who came into my life, whether they were intentionally or not, discipling me. They made me feel comfortable. They made me feel at home. Come on over to our house Friday night. We're going to have coffee. And we'd go over. My wife and I, we didn't have any kids then. We'd go over, and we'd talk about the Bible till 1 o'clock in the morning. Those were wonderful days. Those people became my friends. A lot of those people ended up becoming pastors themselves in the ministry. I needed that. I wonder what would have happened to me if no one glommed onto me, if no one even accidentally tried to disciple me. I was being discipled. I didn't know anything about the Bible, and I'm listening to them discuss it, and I'm opening my Bible, where's that book, and I'm looking for it here, and reading the scripture, and go, oh yeah, I see what that says. Yeah, that's interesting. But I read over here, is this contradicting? We had discussions, it was so much fun, and maybe an argument or two every now and then. Not everybody agreed, not everybody was grounded in the faith, and even when we're grounded in the faith, we don't necessarily agree on everything either. But they were loving, and kind, and good, disagreements and discussions, and when we walked out the door at 1 o'clock in the morning full of pie and coffee or cake or pizza or whatever we had, we walked out, we were all friends, and we were looking forward to seeing them on Sunday morning in church two days later. Discipleship, the rewards of discipleship. I still remember the names of those people. I can still see their faces. They look different today, and so do I, but I can still see those people, people that took time to invest in me. And Larry, who was on our staff for 23 years at First Bible, we worked together for 23 years. I mentioned their names. Irene Mateka, Mike and Irene Mateka. remember them? The Matekas were at least 15 years older than Penny and me. They were the first people. We weren't there two weeks, and they invited Penny and me to come to dinner at their, their house on Sunday after church. These old codgers, you know, they were in their 40s. <laughs> Irene is ill. She's not doing well. Of course, Mike has gone to be with the Lord a long time ago, but Larry knows who I'm talking about. Those, I'll never forget that. Never forget those people who took me and my wife aside and said, We love you. Come on over. And they didn't ask anything of us. They made us a great dinner, and they were cordial, and wow. This is cool. Where has this been all of our lives, you know? Where are people like, I didn't know there were people like this. I remember looking at the choir thinking, these are the perfect people, perfect people. You must be perfect to get in the choir. Larry knows that was the qualification, wasn't it? Perfection to get in the choir back then. And anyway, a joke here and there. It's nice to throw in a little humor. And it is little. It wasn't (laughs) true. It was just a little humor. All right. Discipleship affords a new believer additional spiritual counsel, protection, and a support group to engage in spiritual warfare. Number five, discipleship provides mutual accountability, both for the disciple and the discipler. You need to do something and be held accountable for it, pastor and believer, and discipler. You need to have a job. Uh, let's put it better. You need to be in the ministry. Every member, Pastor Joe, a minister. Every member, a minister. God saved you, as we heard last night, to do something. He didn't just save us and say, man, I'm out. Uh, I don't feel the flames of hell looking on my butt anymore. I'm safe. And now I can just enjoy life and do whatever I want to do from now on. No. He saved us to serve Mel Sabaka. I don't know how many of you ever heard of Mel Sabaka, but he was one of my heroes. and still one of my heroes. He's with the Lord. But I heard him preach, and he'd say this in every other sermon he preached, we're saved to serve, we're saved to serve. And he also said this, rocking chair over here, garbage can over there, judgment seat of Christ. Garbage can over here, rocking chair over there. He's talking about, you suffer the afflictions and you pay the price here, you will be rewarded and you will be blessed. I heard him say that over and over. I still hear him saying that in my sleep at nights. And such great but very simple advice, no doubt. We need accountability. The disciple and the discipler. The accountability factor affords both with the motivation to grow in Christ and to walk in our faith. I see my, my disciple, he's getting, I may be having a bad day, but my disciple's doing well, or my disciples are doing well, or the family that I'm, that I'm working with. The first couple that I discipled, when we really got much more formalized in our discipleship ministry, which was almost 30 years ago, that couple, they're missionaries. When they walked in my office, They were going to, they would already been to the lawyers. The woman sat there in a chair. She wouldn't even look me in the face. She had already made up her mind. I'm done with this marriage. I'm out of here. The husband had just got saved, and he was looking, last-ditch effort. Give me some hope, Pastor. I want to try to keep this marriage together. They came in, and they sat there. She sat there looking at the floor. She wouldn't even look me in the eye. And somewhere toward the end of the conversation i said i really think i can help you i really think i can help you if you will listen to me and give me maybe a month to meet with you i think i can give you hope for your marriage and she was sitting there and she looked up and she looked me in the eye the light went on maybe i can save my marriage I mean, that was the goal in the beginning. She didn't get married to get divorced. She got married to have a good marriage. They're missionaries now. I ended up, that woman got saved. I didn't lead her to Christ, but she got saved as a result of all that. And then they are in the mission field. They're missionaries now. It was a long 30 years ago, long time ago. What are the rewards of discipleship? People. People are the rewards of discipleship. All these principles are part of this, but people are the rewards of discipleship. Number six, local church discipleship, and I kind of plugged in the local church there because I'm a real strong local church person. The local local church discipleship encourages face-to-face encounters and dialogue personalizing the whole process. I like to talk to people face-to-face. We have all kinds of technology. You know, we've we've got our uh, email. I know, I'm a dinosaur for using email now, you know. It's taken me 13 years to learn how to use it. Now I do and they tell me, oh, nobody uses email anymore. (laughs) Okay, what's next, you know. So anyway, whatever the technology is, there's lots of good things out there to communicate with people. But there's nothing like looking people in the eye and talking with them. The eye is the light of the body, the Bible says. and You can learn a lot about a person and what they're saying and what's really behind what they're saying by looking them in the face. I want to talk to people face to face, and if you want to help somebody who's a new believer, you want to do it face to face, if you can. There are exceptions, I understand that. There's places where we're limited, but we want to do that face to face if we can at all. That's what I prefer. People call me up, Pastor, I got some questions. And they get into a two or three minute discussion. I say, you know what? We really need to sit down face to face and talk about this. This is at least a 20 minute, 30 minute discussion, okay? Would you come in and sit down? That's what I'd rather. I hate giving counsel over the telephone. I don't know if I'm being recorded either, by the way. I don't know if they're they're doing that. But come in face to face. Let's talk about this. So it encourages this. Number seven, discipleship provides Christian fellowship and friendship. We got immediate friends. I already said this. The disciple introduces the new believer to other believers to help surround the new believer with newfound friends. We call it a Christian support group. You know, everybody needs a support group today. And there's a great truth in that. We need a support group. One of the reasons that you come here and I come to meetings like this is I need a support group. I love being around pastors. I love being around people that love the Lord. I love to have discussions about uh, the Bible and what's going on in the world and what we're accomplishing and meeting new people who are doing things and want to do things for God. I love that. I need a support group. I have a wonderful family. I've got five children, their spouses, 13 grandchildren, and a wife, obviously. I have a great family support group. But I need more than that. Sometimes I feel like they're draining me, if you know what I mean, you know. I I feel like a a battery, a diehard battery, and I've got 24 uh, cars plugged in trying to start at the same time off me, if you know what I mean. Sometimes you feel that way. I need to go someplace where I don't feel like I have to be the answer or the problem solver, you know what I mean? Now, I'm glad to be able to do this and have the opportunity. When I'm done here, you want to talk about things, I'll be glad to talk. But you're not plugging in. Let me put it that way, all right? (laughs) Not today. Maybe you can plug in tomorrow or something. But I have come here because I need you. I need your friendship. I need your help. Let me do one more, and I'm right on schedule, Pastor, all right? One more, if your clock is right. I assume it is. The disciple, number eight, is comforted in and through the new relationship, obviously. Look at verse... Number seven of chapter number three. Therefore, brethren, when we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith, for we now we live if you stand fast in the Lord, comfort. There's, everybody needs to be comforted. I need to feel like somebody cares about me once in a while. Not all the time. I don't even want to admit that to you, but when you get old, you cry easier and you... Become maybe a little more humble because you know, you know, the Grim Reaper is just around the corner there, so you get more <laughs> honest with people. But I need to be comforted. I need to be comforted. I need to be around people like you. I need to feel like, you know, Pastor Grace, it was really worth it all the years at First Bible. It was worth it. I'm not retired, it's still worth it. But I need to be comforted the days are coming in my life when I'm going to need more of it, more and more of it. When my health fails and when I feel absolutely, totally useless, and most of us end up there at some point, I'm going to need a support group around me that says, boy, Pastor Grace, I remember when. Boy, you know, you really helped me back then. Boy, I remember when we went to uh, down there to the Atlanta area and had that conference of disciples. Man, that was great. We met some good people there. Yeah. And we're going to meet them again. Going to meet him again in heaven. The rewards of discipleship. Amen. So, Father, we break now this morning and thank you for your goodness and for your grace and for you being you and for us just letting you be who you are. You're the best, you're the greatest. Lord, bless our speakers uh, that follow this morning and tonight. And Lord, bless all of these folks that come. I pray that they'll walk away with something that will encourage them, that will help them, that will give them hope, that will give them some tools to be better Christians, to be better disciples and disciplers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.